you so much, Praise Team. That was wonderful. Thank you, Philip Kian and Sean. Thank you very much. That was great. It feels good to feel like you're really set up to preach, so I'm, I'm thankful for the Praise Team. Um, thank you all for, for making the trip. I know it can be tough. You've got to shovel. You've got to get up early, but you made it, so uh, we're glad that we're here. you're here. We're so glad. Let me, uh, let me pray for us as we open up the Word together. Heavenly Father, we need Jesus. I need Jesus. And uh, as we talk about, well, the subject that's coming up, that sometimes the way that we look at spiritual lives, it can lead us astray. I recognize that's a weakness for everyone, including myself. So I pray, Lord, empowered by you, empowered by your Holy Spirit, that what I would say this morning would be true, would reflect your heart accurately, and would also uh, be received by everyone here this morning. So Lord, help us to do that. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. So all of us have intuitions. All of us have natural intuitions that, you know, we're born and we kind of think a certain way about the world. All of us do. You do, I do, we all do. If you weren't told by someone smarter than you, you would, like most people over the course of human history, you would believe that the earth is flat. You'd believe that. Unless you were one of these smart people who kind of figured it out with all sorts of different experiments, you would believe that the world is flat. You have this intuition. But you'd be dead wrong. Come on, it's a, it's a globe. It's round. But our natural intuition just sets us right astray. But there are so many other ways that we get our intuitions completely wrong. For instance, if m many of you, most of you probably, have a cell phone. And I bet you think that if you were to stare really, really closely at a white screen on your cell phone, what you would see is a lot of really, really small white dots that make up your background, right? You know, they're called pixels, they're little dots. I bet you think if you looked really, really closely, you'd see a bunch of white dots on your cell phone. It's not the case. The closer you look, the more you'd see that your screen is actually made up of red, green, and blue. Or red, yellow, and blue. I'm colorblind, so I really don't know uh, which of those two. But it's these three colors. And when you look at them far away, it looks white. But when you get close up, it's actually red, green, and blue. Our intuition is wrong there. And there are so many other ways that, we, that our natural intuition, that the way we just think about the world, just ends up being wrong. Uh, like time. We all think time is going at a normal rate of speed and that time is fixed and time just goes straight just like time does. And we also think that space is fixed, right? You can't warp space. But actually this really smart guy named Einstein showed us that in fact, and this is strange, but if you were going the speed of light, time would act very differently. It would slow down. And there are instances where even space itself would warp. Now, which one of us according to our natural intuition, would know that. None of you. We need a smart person. We need someone who's knowledgeable about these things to tell us. Now, here's the point. If our natural intuition about the things around us, the things that we can easily perceive, if, if even those intuitions are so wrong, why do we so often think that our spiritual intuitions are completely correct? 
Why do we think that the natural way we think about the world around us in terms of spirituality, in terms of our relationship to God, in terms of what it means to be a human, in terms of how we you know, connect with, with the Almighty, why do we think that those intuitions are correct? Because they can be right off base as well. For instance, here's something that most people believe. Most people believe, and this is a spiritual intuition, that when a loved one passes away, that they are in a better place, right? Most people will just believe that. They, they believe it. You could go to almost any type of funeral and they will say they are in a better place. Why do we think that? Why do we think that we are automatically just put into this better place, I wonder? Here's another intuition you might have. The fact that you come to church on a Sunday morning makes you a Christian. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love that you're here. I, I want you to be here. You need to be here. If you're a believer, you need to be here. But the reason why you are a Christian is not because you make it out to church every Sunday. That might be an intuition you have, but it could, in fact, lead you astray. There are many people around, and you might know someone like this, or you may, in fact, be someone like this, and I don't blame you, but there are people who believe that, you know, they are uh, spiritual, but not religious, Right? Have you heard that before? We're, I'm spiritual but not religious. And I get it. You know, you, you know that there's a spiritual realm. You know there's something greater than yourself. You want to transcend and connect with, with whatever that is. But you're, you're not going to sign up to any authoritarian church. You're not going to have someone else tell you what that spiritual life means. You're kind of just going to go your own way and figure it out yourself. You're spiritual but not religious, right? And you will perhaps come to discover that the spiritual life means, you know, being a good person, right? Um, maybe uh, having some kind of inner peace, connecting with yourself in that way, or, or maybe even perhaps connecting with the universe in some way. But we have to come to terms with the fact that, you know, our personal spiritual journeys, our spiritual spirit, uh, personal spiritual intuitions are, are just based on our own limited, flawed experiences and really don't have much to do with the mysterious reality of spirituality. I mean, just like we are so wrong often when, with our natural intuitions, why do we think we have it right when it comes to our spiritual intuition? Here's what I'm hoping to do this morning as we open up the Word together. I'm hoping to have another encounter with Christ. We are continuing this series, Encounter Christ, where Jesus meets with people, people who know they need him, people who don't think they need him at all, and people who just don't know. And Jesus comes into their lives, he encounters them, and he teaches them, and they change, they transform, and something radical happens in their lives. But Jesus isn't done encountering people. It's not that he only did it then, and he's not doing it now. No, even now. Jesus is encountering us through his word. And today, I hope he encounters you in challenging those assumptions that you might have about a spiritual life. And I'm talking to those in here who are believers and those of you who have not made that decision quite yet. There are assumptions that we've made that may, in fact, lead us astray. I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 we're going to go from verse 1 to 15. And in this passage, Jesus has a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. 
And Nicodemus is going to discover that he had a lot of things that he thought were true about spiritual, having a spiritual life, having a relationship with God, but it turns out he wasn't right at all. Let's look at verse 1, and we'll get to know who this Nicodemus character is. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Okay, so we've learned a few things about Nicodemus. The first thing that we learn is that he is a Pharisee. And a Pharisee would be a person of a certain sect of Judaism. Kind of like how a Baptist church, like the one you're attending this morning, is a sect of, you know, a Christian church. It's a denomination of a Christian church. A Pharisee was a Jew. And if you were a Pharisee, you were someone who took the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, very, very seriously. You followed that thing literally. In fact, you even knew much of it, maybe all of it, by heart. If you were a Pharisee, you knew your Bible. You knew some things about spirituality. But we learn even more than that. He says he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Another word for that is a Sanhedrin. He was part of this Jewish ruling council. In other words, he had elevated himself above the other Pharisees and the other Jews in knowledge and in authority. And he is now in this place where he is certainly a spiritual authority. So this person, among anyone that these people would know, this person should know all sorts of things about spirituality. That's what we've learned about Nicodemus so far. In verse 2 it says, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, which means teacher, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I know, I know what's going on here. I see the works that you're doing. I see the teaching that you're doing. You're obviously a, a man that has come from God, and I kind of understand your relationship with God. I know what's going on. I can see it. I can see it. Now, how does Jesus reply? He says this, verse 3. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So Jesus replies to Nicodemus and says, Oh, you, you think you've got me figured out. You think you've got this whole kingdom of God thing figured out. You think, based on seeing me do these miracles and based on collecting this evidence, that you can understand what God is up to. Not so. Jesus says here, Very truly I tell you, no one, including you, Nicodemus, can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Here's the first intuition, we're going to do four, here's the first one. The first intuition that you might have that Jesus is going to correct here. And that intuition is that true belief, true belief in Jesus Christ means being convinced of the facts. True belief in Jesus Christ means being convinced of the facts. Many of us believe that the reason why we are saved is because we believe a certain set of facts about Jesus. We believe thing number one, Jesus is God. Thing number two, that Jesus came to this earth. Thing number three, that he, was, that he died, was buried, and rose again for the forgiveness of sins. And we believe that true faith means check mark, check mark, check mark, I believe all of those things. But Jesus says here, what does he say? Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. 
In other words, there is something in, a, in addition to at least of understanding the evidence that you need in order to be saved. Now, don't get me wrong, friends. I, I, there's great evidence for us to believe in the factual truth of Jesus Christ. And maybe in the future we'll do some kind of study about this, uh, but there are great reasons why you should believe in the historical reliability of the Gospels and the, and the facts of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. In fact, there's even incredible and mounting uh, philosophical arguments that talk about why there must be a God. And I love this evidence. This evidence encourages me. It, it helps me. But if our faith is based on just being convinced and backed into a corner by a set of facts, Jesus says here, that's not enough. You need to be born again. And you know what? You, many of you are skeptical about what I've just said, but let me prove it to you. Let me prove to you that just believing a set of facts is not enough for salvation. Do you want to know who else believes all the set of facts about Jesus? I heard it. Satan. The enemy of God. He knows all about Jesus. He knows all the facts. He knows exactly what he's here to do. He's seen the miracles, just like Nicodemus. He knows what's going on. He is not saved. It's not about assent to the facts. That's not what saves. Many of us, and I'm included in the many of us, okay, this is me, when, uh, maybe you still do this, I used to do this a lot, I would pray, God, why don't you do some, like, miracle that would be very apparent to me, and then I'd be, like, all in following you, right? So, so you kind of, like, point at a place on the ground, and you say, God, would you just, you know, strike some lightning right there? I don't know why it's always lightning, but it's lightning, okay? Could you just strike some lightning right there, and then, then I'll believe. Okay, two problems with that. The first one is, even if God, for some reason in his sovereign plan, did answer your prayer and strike lightning right there, you'd probably think that's a coincidence, right? You'd be like, I don't know, I'm not so sure, right? We see all throughout the Bible, God doing incredible miracles in front of people in their witness, and they don't believe. So there's the first problem, but here's the second problem. If you believed in God solely based on the fact of that miracle, that would be the same kind of faith that Nicodemus has. A kind of faith that is just based on the facts. But Jesus says we need to be born again. We need to know what that means, and we're going to get there. But I just want to challenge that first spiritual intuition that many of us have. That being saved just means I've got to check off the boxes of belief in Jesus. No, Jesus says belief, true belief, means being born again. Okay, that's the first intuition. Here's the second one, and many of us have a struggle with this one as well. And this one is the idea that we are saved so long as we are more good than bad. This is a spiritual intuition that almost all of us would have if we weren't guided by, you know, a church or, or by scripture. In fact, many world religions, many of the people you know, believe that all they got to do is kind of just be a little bit more good than bad and they'll be okay. They think, 
okay, if there is a God, I'm not so sure about that, but if there is a God and I die, he's still going to accept me. I mean, I've been mostly a good person. Like, I'm, I'm pretty good. And that's an intuition that each and every one of us have had at some point. I've just got to be more good than bad. It's kind of like we're on this cosmic moral scale. And we've just got to make sure that the good side is just a little bit better than the bad side. Now, that's a big problem. In fact, the situation is a lot more dire than that. You think you've got to be 51% good to be accepted by God. Well, actually, it's a bit steeper. What is it? 60%? No, it's, it's more dire than that. 70, 80, 90, 99. 99.9999. No. The standard of God's moral judgment is 100% righteousness. Okay, so if you want to earn your way into heaven, the bar is perfection. 100% moral perfection. When the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, when the Bible says that, it's saying to us, everyone has fallen short of the moral standard that he set. Everyone, everyone deserves the wrath of God. All of us. It's not about being 51%. It's about being 100% righteous. Now, if you don't know that, you're in big trouble. In fact, Nicodemus knew this. Take a look at what he says next. Take a look. He actually didn't have that intuition. He knew that he had to be spiritually 100% righteous. He said in verse 4, actually, back in verse 3, Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Verse 4 says, How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Okay, so if you were reading this for the first time, you just might think that Nicodemus is pretty dense, okay? Because he's, you know, kind of saying to Jesus, what are you, what are you talking about? I, you know, I, I'm already born. I'm not going to go back into my mother's womb, okay? That's just not going to happen. But that's actually not what Nicodemus is saying. He's actually uh, continuing Jesus' example. He's saying to Jesus, look, you're saying we need to be born again. You're saying we need to be spiritually renewed. You're saying that we have to start from the start and be completely righteous. And Nicodemus responds and says, how are we supposed to do that? How am I supposed to be spiritually completely renewed? I'm an old man. I've sinned. I've made mistakes. I've fallen short of the glory of God. And now you're telling me I need to be born again, completely spiritually renewed. And let me tell you, there's no refresh button on this webpage. I've messed up. What are we supposed to do? That's an important question. And Jesus is going to answer that question right after. He says, surely we cannot enter a second time into their mother's room to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Okay. Jesus is now getting into the details of what it means to be born again. We have to be born of, the wa- of water and the spirit. So this is the key to the first two intuitions that we have. The first one being that 
belief is just a set of facts. That's not true. We need to be born again. And the second one is that we just need to be 51% good. That's not true either. We need to be born again. So what does he mean by this? He says, we can't enter the kingdom of God. We can't be saved. We can't truly follow Christ unless we are born of water and the Spirit. And actually, there's a long conversation about what this could mean. And if you're reading this, you're probably thinking, okay, Jesus is likely talking about how we need to be born of water, like a natural birth from our moms, and then we have to be born spiritually. And actually, that's not what he's referring to. You might also think that born of water might be some reference to baptism. And actually, that's not what he's referring to either. Jesus here is referring to a well-known Old Testament theme. And this theme uh, is best explained in this next passage that, we're going to that I'm going to show you. It's in Ezekiel. And in this passage, Jesus, is, uh, Jesus knows that this passage describes what it means to be born again. It's in Ezekiel chapter 36. So he's referring to this Old Testament passage to explain what it means to be born again. And this is what it says. This is what God said to his people. This is what God was planning to do in the Old Testament. He says this. He says this to the people of God. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. That's a way of saying, I'm going to bring you back to me. I'm going to bring you back to the promised land, which is my presence. I'm going to bring you back to me. And this is how I'm going to do it. Verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And that is what Jesus is referring to when he says born of water. We need to be cleansed, cleansed completely of sin. God needs to sprinkle clean water on us so that we will be cleansed of our idols, of our sin, and everything that will get in the way of ourselves and God. And then he continues in verse 26. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And that's what it means to be born of spirit. Being born of water means being cleansed by God. He's going to clean, clean us of sin. And being born of the spirit, New Testament, uh, we usually call this the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is when God gives us his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit resides within us. And our heart of stone, which loves sin and loves pleasure and loves all of these things that are, are keeping us away from God, our heart of stone, God works on it through the Spirit and makes it a heart of flesh where it is sensitive to what God wants from our lives and it changes our desires. He gives us a heart of flesh. And not only that, it says in verse 20, uh, 27 that he will give us his Holy Spirit, his his Holy Spirit will reside in us. So what it means to be born again is to be completely cleared of sin by God and to be given this gift of a new heart and the Holy Spirit's indwelling within us. This is what we need to be saved. Not 51% goodness versus badness, but a complete, complete righteousness gifted to us by God. Now, this is a tough teaching. 
Here's why. You all, in your lives, know someone who you think is a really good person. And in the eyes of the world, and likely in the eyes of anyone here, they are good people. And then we get into this spot where we think, God, this person's such a, such a good person. Is this person really not going to be saved? And this is the dire thing. We're going through our lives, many of us, and thinking, we're pretty good people. Of course God will accept me. I'm a pretty good, I haven't murdered anyone. You know, there are, I can think of a hundred people worse than me. And what we are doing with that spiritual intuition is taking us straight to hell. Because that's not the standard of God's justice. The standard of God's justice is 100%. Now, and the Bible tells us that none of us can even reach the 51% good mark. Did you know that? None of us can even make that mark. You know why? Because even the good things that we do, even the good things that I do, are tainted with sin. Many times we do good things, and you know what we, we are really after? We're really after some ego. We're really after making ourselves feel bigger and feel better and feel more honorable. Often when we do good things, we just want to be seen. We want to be seen as moral. So people are going around thinking that they're 51%, but they're really one, maybe zero. And God's standard of justice is 100%. Friends, we got to put down our personal spiritual intuitions and start listening to the creator. Start listening to scripture. Start listening to the word. Okay. We've gone through two spiritual intuitions. Here's the third one. The third one is this one. And this one might even surprise the believers in here. The third intuition is that salvation is my decision. Right? Many of us believe this. We believe that the reason why I'm saved is because I was wise enough and smart enough and I figured out that I need to put my faith in Jesus. So I made a decision to follow him and that's the reason I'm saved. Well, it'll surprise you to find out that that's actually not all the way true. And Jesus is going to explain that to us now. Take a look at what happens next. He says in verse 6, Jesus is going to explain to us what being born again means in greater depth. And he says this, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So in, another, in other words, Jesus is saying, hey, just like you can only have flesh if flesh was before you, right? Your mom and, and dad got together and made you. You need flesh to have flesh. In the same way, the only way that we can have the Spirit of God living in us is if it's the Spirit's work. Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, gives birth to Spirit. And then he says in verse 7, You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus says here that the Spirit, just like the wind, is, you know, you can't see it. The, the Holy Spirit living in you is not a feeling. He's a person. He's God. You can't feel it, feel him, see him, 
but you can experience his effects. Just like you can feel the wind, even though you can't see it. You can experience the effects of the Holy Spirit living in you. And here's one of the effects that the Holy Spirit has when he's inside you. And I find this to be so encouraging to me, and I hope it is for you. If you woke up this morning and you discovered that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you woke up and you found that, yes, you believe in Christ, you want to follow him, you treasure him, you love him, and you want to follow after him, if you woke up and you've discovered that in yourself, that is the surest evidence that the Spirit of God is living in you. Because that's a miracle that God has done in your heart. That's the Spirit of God living in you. He gives us the gift of belief, the gift of faith. He softens our hearts so that we believe in Christ and so that we want to do what God has designed for us to do. Now, you might think, okay, does, does that mean I don't have to make a decision for Christ? Absolutely not. We just have to understand that it's the Holy Spirit's work in us that brings us to the point where we make the decision to follow after Christ. If the Holy Spirit is in you, if you've, if you've discovered that the Holy Spirit has done this work in you, that you believe in Christ, then you make that decision. Jesus, I want to follow you. It's in that order. You don't get the credit. It's not because of your intelligence or wisdom. I mean, for many of us, if, if you're a believer and you were walking down the street and someone asked you, hey, why are you a believer in Christ? Many of us would, would stumble. Like we're believers, we truly believe, we truly want to fo follow Christ. But if they were to ask us why, we, if we're not prepared with an answer, we'll think, well, actually, I've got to think that through a bit. And part of the reason for that is that it's God's work in us. It wasn't a function of our willpower. It wasn't a function of our intelligence. It's not our, a function of our wisdom. It was a function of God's grace working in us to bring us to faith. Our intuition says it's just my decision. But Jesus is telling us it's the Holy Spirit's work in your heart. Now, here's the objection that, has, that maybe has come to your mind. And believe you me, it's come to mind as well. And here's the objection. Okay, if that's true, if what you've just said is true, then the reason why I'm not a believer, let's say you're not a believer. The reason why I'm not a believer is because God hasn't done the work in me. He hasn't done the miracle in me. That's why I don't believe. It's his fault. It's God's fault that I don't believe. If it's up to his doing a miraculous work in my heart, then what am I supposed to do? Well, let me respond to you. Right now, in the words that I'm saying, and in the words of Scripture, the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart. The Holy Spirit is saying, come to me, follow me, love me, treasure me, believe me. And if you, this moment, as the Holy Spirit prods you forward towards him, if you, this moment, say no, that's not on God. It's on you. However, if this moment where I've, I've said and, and scripture shows us again and again that we need to follow after him and you make that decision, yes, I'm, I'm going to follow Christ. Yes, I treasure him. Yes, I love him. 
then praise be to God because he has worked a miracle in your heart. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. It's not our decision, but it is our discovery that God has done a miracle in our hearts. If you're not a believer and you struggle, you struggle with this, pray that God changes your heart. Pray, pray that he, he invades you and, and just lay yourself before him and believe, believe in Jesus Christ. That's another example of our spiritual intuitions sending us astray. And here's the last one. And this one sort of summar, summarizes all of them. And the last intuition goes like this. I already know everything I need to know about spirituality, right? All of us think that at one point or another. We think, I already know everything I need to know. I don't need to know any more than I already know. I'm good. Almost everyone thinks this way, even Christians. Atheists believe this. Even agnostics at some level believe this. I already know everything I need to know about spiritual matters. I'm good. And that, my friends, is a dangerous, dangerous assumption. Because if you think you already know all you need to know and you're not right, who's going to correct you? No, we, we need correction. Take a look at what happens next in this conversation with Nicodemus. This is, this is fantastic. Verse 9, Nicodemus is at his wit's end and he says, how can this be? Now, just a reminder, this man is one of the most spiritual people you could meet. He knows his scriptures. He's got a, a seat on the Sanhedrin, on the ruling council. He should know. And yet, after this short conversation with Jesus, and after Jesus has corrected him on, on many theological and spiritual points, Nicodemus is saying, how can any of this be? And friends, if, if this most spiritual elder needs correction and is at this point, in his conversation with Jesus, how much more do each and every one of us need correction from Jesus? Take a look at what Jesus says next. Verse 10, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? He's saying, you're supposed to be teaching Israel. You're supposed to teach them about how we need to have a right relationship with God. You're the one in charge of this whole enterprise here, and you don't know? What about God's people? If you don't know, how are God's people going to know? And if God's people don't know, how are the lost going to know? And friends, th this is the challenge that God, or that Jesus presents to each and every one of us. If we don't know, how is anyone else going to know? How's the lost going to know? We need to follow after Christ and his word. He continues here in verse 11. He says this, very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Now Jesus is speaking in the plural here because he's referring to himself, God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. He's referring to the witness of the Godhead, of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we have seen, and you people do not accept our testimony. Verse 12 says this, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? 
Jesus says, hey, look, I've only been speaking to you about the things that pertain to you humans. I've only been talking about that. I haven't even gotten into the unimaginable mysteries that are about God and about eternity and are about eternal life and about heaven. I haven't even gotten to those mysteries. And you won't even believe me on these points? You're so far away from knowing the truth. Listen to me. He keeps saying to them, listen to me. He says, verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. He says, there's only one person, there's only one person who has the authority, the power, the wisdom, the knowledge to reveal to you all that you need to know about spiritual matters. And it's me. It's the Son of God. It's Jesus Christ. To us, to our modern audience, Jesus might say, put down the spiritual self-help books. Stop following after that, those blog posts that teach you how to find inner spiritual peace. Stop listening, to those, listening and following to those podcasts that bring you to some strange new spiritual reality. Put those down and listen to me. I'm the only one who knows. I'm the only one who's been to heaven and can tell you about it. Listen to me. I hope, friends, that you've at least been challenged about your spiritual intuition. Many of us think we know all that we need to know already. We don't need any correction. But you will, one way or another, be dispelled of whatever wrong spiritual intuition you have. You will be dispelled of it one way or another. One way is you follow Christ. You get into his word. You begin to understand it and study it and follow him. But the second way is to be found in the throne room of God. And God will correct your spiritual errors. Friends, we need to follow after Christ. We need to be right with him through Christ today. There are a million different ways you can have a so-called spiritual life. But there's only one true way. One true way to know God. And that is through Christ. He follows up with that to unwrap some of that mystery for us. In the last verse, in the last two verses, I should say, in verse 14, Jesus says this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And I'm going to close with this. Jesus is referring to an Old Testament story where God's people, where Israel, were disobeying God. They were rebelling against him. And so God sent upon them his wrath in the form of snakes. And they were bitten, fatally. But they pled for mercy. They sought God and said, God, we know we've been wrong. We want to turn away from this. And God instructs Moses, who was the leader of Israel at the time, God instructs Moses and says, put a snake on a pole. Whoever looks at that snake on the pole will be spared my wrath. So Jesus refers to that Old Testament story and says, now I will be put up on that pole. I am going to go up on that cross. It's going to be me. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, will go up on that cross to take the wrath of God that we all deserve. 
That's what it means to be born again. The Holy Spirit indwells us so that we believe in the Son of God. And so this morning, I appeal to you again. Believe in the Son of God. Allow, permit the Holy Spirit to work through you. And put down the spiritual self-help books. Because no one, no one in their spiritual intuition thought that a man dying on a tree would be their salvation. But it is. We so desperately need Christ. I'm going to ask this praise team to come forward as we close. Perhaps now we need to recognize those areas where we think we have spiritual life all under control, but we don't. Even those who are believers in here. Maybe, maybe you're someone who kind of thinks that being a Christian just means saying that you're a Christian, but it hasn't infected your life. I challenge you today to look at what it means to be born again and ask, is that you? Has God given you a soft heart towards the things of God? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we so desperately need your guidance, need your leading. Should we go on our own without you, we'll perish. But should we seek you, follow you, listen to you, understand you, just like you so desperately wanted Nicodemus to understand, then we will see eternal life. Lord, I plead would you, in your, in your power and through the work of your spirit, bring us to salvation? Would you infect our hearts, Lord, with your love? And would you allow us to see the glory and beauty and holiness of your name? In Christ's name I pray. Amen.